Hello, everybody. This is uh, John Willis with another episode of Profound. I have uh, actually, you know, probably say this in every podcast, but like I have one of my favorite guests on today. Um, Courtney, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks, John. I'm super, super excited to be here. Um, my name is Courtney Kissler, uh, currently CTO at Zoomily. Uh, prior to that, um, spent most of my career at pretty, pretty large uh, enterprises, including Nordstrom, Starbucks, and uh, Nike right before I joined Zulily. So all in technology, starting in infrastructure, kind of moving into um, leadership roles that got me closer to the customer and have been uh, extremely passionate about transformation um, for, oh gosh, I guess it would be you know, over a decade now since I kind of got um, immersed into the DevOps community. Yeah, you know, the thing is, that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan, a big fan of yours. So, you know, I, I hesitate to say probably your biggest fan behind probably your family. Um, but because um, you were one of the pioneers in proving out that the enterprise could do DevOps, right? I, you know, I think of sort of what you were doing at Nordstrom and what, you know, uh, Ross and Heather were doing, Ross Clanton and Heather Mickman were doing at Target. You know, we were running DevOps Enterprise Summit. It, it, you were the earliest enterprises that showed up. You know, I always joke, you know, me, Damon always would, Damon Edwards would always fight with people on Twitter about the big four, about how you can't do DevOps in the enterprise. And and when we ran the, the first sort of open CFP, you know, I was like, this will prove it, right? And then we saw, like, it, you know, the, the people coming in who were doing it and, and I know you've been a mentor and, you know, I've just watched your career. You go in and you just do amazing things and I, you know, I'll stop sort of doting or whatever, but like I've worked with you on projects, you know, like we do the, the, the forum papers and I've seen how you manage like very hard people to manage. You know, I, I just got through a paper. It's hard, you know, at find balance of getting mad at like somebody like, you know, a big, you know, some, some of the people we have to work with. And I just, I, I've just always been a just a huge fan of yours in, in every way. So um, I guess I should start with a question. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, so one of the things that we've done, you know, on the Davos Cafe, we've done a couple of podcasts with you. And I, I think, you know, um, I, I'm going to ask you about sort of Deming and what your thoughts are. But one of the things I think is always interesting when I talk to you is how you go about, you know, I remember me and Damon were fascinated to ask you this, I think, when you went to Starbucks or, um, you know, how do you go about like in the, what you do? And I think it's important that like, you go into an organization and you've explained this to us or me and Damon a couple of times, like you have a methodology and it's not easy to walk into a large enterprise, you know, and, and sort of figure out how to sort of fix things fast, get things on track. You know, I, I guess that could be the whole podcast, but just give me just an overview of how you think that through. Cause I think it's really cool how you, your thought process there. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm a big believer in practicing first 90 days. Um, I wish I had had exposure to that earlier in my career, uh, but I found that um, leveraging that framework is huge um, and really listening. So it sounds simple, but coming into an organization and making sure that I took the time to really listen to the teams, 
ask a lot of questions, never assume that the playbook that I leveraged at one organization would apply. Because even though problems may sound the same, you the culture and the readiness and kind of where the organization's at is always different. But I will share there is one, um, I'll call it technique or passion of mine that I've leveraged every time I've joined an organization because it is yet to be, um, I guess I should say it hasn't, it's always been a good place to start. And this is after I've done my listening. Um, Understanding if the organization has a true way of knowing how value is delivered to their customer. And I use value strength mapping. I'm a huge believer in value strength mapping. Um, Sometimes organizations don't have an actual value strength map. Sometimes they do, but they might not have the system and the structure in place to really learn and problem solve against it. Um, But that is something that I always, it's always on my list of questions when I join an organization or a new team. You know, do we have a value stream map? If not, then let's figure out how to uh, create one. And if so, then how are we leveraging it to really learn and, and trying to pressure test the learning is really in the DNA of the, of the organization. Um, so that is definitely an area that I, I have leveraged in every, every organization that I've joined. Yeah. You know, it's huge too, because, you know, I, I've said this to you before, you know, as I would go through the travels of sort of early, a little sort of post early, right. There's the early, early, and then there's the early. Um, and I and interview people, and, and almost everybody who was reasonably su- successful in the enterprise, in, you know, in the early stages of this DevOps, we go back seven, I don't know, six or seven years ago, maybe eight years ago. Um, they were always, the two things that they were, most of the ones that like answered the first couple of questions correctly, not that I was a, a judge and jury. Um, the one thing they would say is value stream mapping was very effective and almost in my memory, um, you know, it was that, oh, we had this advisor, her name was Courtney Kissler, and she helped us. And I and I, 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 can, I can name a number of companies where, you know, like that was the answer I heard. So um, so let me get to the Deming part of this thing, right? Because I, I, value stream mapping, like we can go into sort of Mike Rother stuff. I know you're a fan there, but why is Deming or is Deming or why is Deming important in 2021 from your perspective? Um, well, I was trying, I'm trying to figure out where to start. I mean, I think, I think one thing that I can say is I think a lot of organizations don't place value on really understanding the system. There's so much focus on, um, oh, do we have the right people? Or, you know, what's the latest tool and technology that we need to leverage in order to achieve an outcome? Um, You know, well, I will say rarely is it, let's look at the process of the system. But what I found is understanding the system and really, really deeply understanding it, especially as a senior leader, you can't 
understand the system if you're not close to reality and really knowing what is what is going on in the organization. And you know, you mentioned the skepticism that existed early on around can enterprises really practice some of these, um, you know, uh, whether it's the DevOps techniques or you know, win in a digital transformation. And we've we know that you can. I think what is often not the focus though is, you know, I was, I was uh, there are a bunch of typing quotes that I love, but one of them that I use frequently is, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Yeah. And I think, I think so many organizations don't realize that, you know, knowing the system and really focusing on how to improve the system is where you are gonna win. And it all boils down to people, respect for people, how you show up as a leader and really create that culture. Um, is learning really happening? If learning's not happening, then there's something broken. And so I, I think that most organizations are now focused on the system. And fundamentally, I think that is where the, you know, the leverage, if you don't, you don't even have to mention Deming. I mean, you know this, it's like some people try to downplay um, how that might apply in a technology setting, but we all know that it does. And like the concepts and the, you know, the, the, you know, I think about like, you know, plan, do, check, act, plan, do, study, act, whichever, you know, framing you want to use. What I find most organizations are doing a lot of planning and doing, but they're not doing a lot of studying and acting. So the learning loop is not complete. It's like, we just want to get into action. We just want to do things. We want to make sure there's constantly flurries of activity in our organization. But when you really get in and understand what's going on, often there isn't that real learning happening. And so um, I also just, I just believe that leaders need to be really, really close to the work. And I think I shared this story with you at one point when I was uh, really immersing myself into lean and I would talk about Gemba. I'm like, Gemba, we've got to go to the work. We've got to go and see. And I had some of my peers at the time tell me that I was micromanaging. Mm. And I said, the phrase is go and see, not go and tell. You're not there to tell people what to do. You're there to listen. You're there to ask questions. Yeah. I mean, we were, you know, leveraging the coaching kata in some of the teams that I supported. And if I would, you know, I printed it out and handed it out to people who were in leadership roles and said, when you're going to Gemma, ask questions. Don't judge don't show up and think you have the answers, but really be curious. And I just, I feel like that is, you know, well, I mean, this is, this is my opinion. I feel like, you know, Deming is, is trying to make, well, a lot of it is about leadership. And I was, I loved your uh, Dr. Doris Quinn episode where she said, leaders don't have all the answers. 
you need to trust the people that you've hired. And if you've hired, you know, and like really be a leader first. Um, So long-winded answer, but lots of influence for me for sure um, in my career and continuing throughout uh, my journey. Yeah, no, you know, and, and you know, so we, we talk about Roth, or you talk about coaching Cotter, and then we'll talk about improvement Cotter. But I think, you know, one of the things I've sort of, I've been diving deeper and deeper into that, I mean, just doing a lot of research on my own time. Um, you know, I, I had this other sort of, it, like, it was like sitting there, it was so obvious. But, um, you know, one of the, you know, I mean, Deming's thing was, you know, and, and it, it, it's funny, she's like, oh my God, like, how did I not like see this as clearly as I do now is that, you know, he'd always talk about leadership taking responsibility, very much like you described, right? And 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 having the human aspect of it. But one of the things that I guess I, I finally sort of saw in a way is, you know, that the what you just talked about, which I thought was awesome, is like people thought that was micromanaging. The sort of Sloan, the terroristic Sloan model of that is to go down there and say, hey, that hammer needs to be hit twice as hard. You're not, you know, you're not your backswing's not strong enough, right? Um and, and Deming was really sort of the same thing, like go there, but it, it's it's leadership that had to drive quality. You know, I think that the American, you know, sort of our version of like of how we do leadership is the worker is responsibility for quality, security, everything, right? And and the leadership is like, okay, you know, we'll just make sure we tell you work harder, row harder. And, and Deming's whole thing was, no, it's leadership's responsibility for all these things. Quality is a leadership thing. And, and again, I, you know, I, I saw that. So when, when, when in that model, when you go down there, it's like, you know, making sure you have all the things you need, taking the responsibility. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm making sense, but, but I, you know, I, I think I've seen that clearly just within the last week. The difference between him yeah. saying leadership needs to take control of quality. I never saw it in contrast to like, the, the the sort of Taylor Sloan where quality is always at the edge. Who fault is it? You know, even the breaches now. You know, Joe didn't patch. Fire him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. In you're you're touching on something that I'm also extremely passionate about is um, leadership engagement and how how we show up to the team the first question and i mean i can tell probably you know at least 20 different stories about you know incident happens the first question a leader asks is who who didn't patch who configured that wrong who did blah 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 and I'm like, no, wrong question. The question is, how did the system yeah. break down? And we should be asking that question. And I mean, and you, you and I have been, you know, uh, you've been such a great sounding board for me throughout the years. And we all know that blame culture, not, you know, anyone who's not creating a generative culture any leaders who are showing up and not supporting the team when there's an issue, it falls apart. People don't want to work in an environment where they feel like if they make a mistake, which again, I'm like, again, I always go back to the system. And there's often 
when you really dig in and understand how the system broke down, there's multiple contributing factors, and you and I could probably talk for hours about that topic as well. Um, but if leaders aren't genuinely curious and really showing up as support, you know, we talk about the Andon cord. If a team member has to pull the Andon cord because maybe to your example, quality wasn't built in in the beginning, and they pull the cord and they say, we are not shipping the software because we've got a defect. Leaders should show up and say, how can I help? How can I help to make sure that we get the quality right? And it is a leadership. Yeah. And Rother, right, in his Toyota Kata book, right, said the first thing that uh, sort of a leader would do is uh, when they pulled it, and they really did actually stop the line, right? Or, you know, it would be, um, thank you. Like, talk about a learning. Yes. Like, the, the, like, not even, like, how can I help? Like, thank you. You just <laughs> added our ability as an organization to learn by doing what you just did. Right? It's such a counterintuitive to hey. leaders, right? Totally. And, and often what leaders uh, value is what ends up being valued broader in the organization. So to your quality example, it's like if I am demonstrating a commitment to quality and through actions, not just words, because it's super easy to say quality is important, but then not create a structure or a system to actually achieve quality, um, then my teams are going to value it as well. And not in a scenario where, because another thing I believe in is I want my teams to feel safe telling me if there's a problem in the organization. So if I'm talking about something and I am committing to making it better and there's an issue that's keeping us from making it better, I want my team to be able to say, Courtney, here's the reality of what's happening in the teams. Uh, we need to pay attention to this. And if we don't pay attention to this, we're not going to be able to improve the system. But if the leader is not willing to hear yeah. reality, it all kind of falls apart. That's a, you know, we, we did this thing with Decker and Woods and, uh, and Spear, um, uh, not Woods. Uh, yeah. No, Dr. Cook, Cook Decker and, uh, and uh, Spear. And, you know, at one point I think Dean asked uh, Decker, like, what is a safety culture in, uh, and Decker said, it's a culture where um, you can tell the boss bad news, right? And, 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 but, and then he went on a little deeper is that, like, um, leaders have to take responsibility. Like, having a leader stand up in front of a thousand people and say, hey, y'all, I don't know how to fix this, right? Like, talk about, like, being able to sort of have that, you know, like, I mean, I guess the, 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 this is going to turn into question here. There's a trap, right? You know, at sort of your level and you get higher that, um, that there's this sort of, you have to know all the answers. You're sort of, there are people above you have to respond. And I always wonder how you, you seem to gracefully navigate that in your career. Again, did I make sense? Uh, yeah, it is. It, it is so challenging. So I, 
um, you know, I, I'm, this is going to sound like a no dust statement, but um, trust. So creating an environment where there's high trust is so challenging because every action or signal that a leader sends into the organization yeah. of the system is an opportunity to build trust, break trust, yeah. or stay trust neutral. Every single action and signal. And, you know, I have focused on trying to build trust as quickly as I can when I join an organization. And there are times where I don't always realize how low the trust is, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it takes, well, it takes time, it takes engagement, it takes a lot of listening. Um, but ultimately, and I'll, I'll share kind of my recent scenario. So, you know, I'm, I'm through my first 90 days, I'm coming up on six months. I've done a lot of listening. I've, I've played back to my organization, what I heard from all of them. Now, you know, and basically I'm like, so these are all words. Now it's time to get into action. And if we don't get into action, we're not going to build trust. And I can't do it alone. I need all of you. I need to uh, engage and, um, you know, I like to say activate or mobilize the organization against these problems. And then you'll, you'll probably love this, you know, channel our good friend Dominica, we can't do it all. So we need to pick the things that are going to be the most meaningful and we need to plan, do, study, act. Because if we don't practice that discipline, we're going to assume that we're working on things that are going to make life easier. So I talk about burden. There's a lot of burden in the organization. If we focus on these things and we don't really reduce burden, then we should have a structure in place to adjust and do something different because ultimately I'm trying to build trust with my team. I'm trying to create an environment that people thrive in and, and, and feel good about the work they're doing. I love, there was um, one of Deming's uh, quotes that I really loved was people are entitled to joy in work. Yeah. And I just think, yeah. you know, I, I, I believe in that as well. And if you're doing work that that doesn't bring you joy, then as a leader, I need to figure out what is causing you to not feel joy yeah. in the work that you're doing. That's so brilliant. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I periodically get to lecture to certain college students in, in certain places with certain places that bring me in every year. And, and I, you know, I say, you know, like, and again, I, again, I, I will say like, the, just to be cautious, there's a whole notion of privilege here when I say this, and I acknowledge that I am, it's part of a privileged class, right? And, but, I, you know, to young students that are graduating like Georgia Tech or something like, find that job where like eight out of 10 days, you wake up with a smile on your face. There's like no way that's going to happen 10 out of 10. Yes. <laughs> But, yes. uh, but like, if you, like in our in our profession, yes. I, I think you know I think people you know we have this luxury of 
being able to find that place and then find, you know, I, I always think, you know, we've joked sometimes, John, why don't you come work for me? I'm like, Courtney, I'd be your worst employee, not for my output, but like, I'd be a terrible person to manage. Um, God bless Andrew Clay Schaefer. Right. Um, but um, the, um, but the, the point is I, you know, if younger, like I couldn't imagine a better place to start work with under somebody like you, you know, and if you're listening to this, you're hearing, you know, Courtney's thoughts and all and, and I, you know, I just, I could see that environment, like of being in, especially a place where you're at now with so many opportunities, um, you know, um, but I, I guess this leads really right into, um, the, you know, you know, I've, um, I've never practiced, I've read a little about the hosting canary and I know you're a big fan. And I think if somebody looks at it from outside in, they might say, well, isn't that sort of deterministic or, and, and, and you shared with me your ideas about sort of you know, uh, ranking, you know, like, so I'd love to just explore why you're interested in that sort of body of work and how it's practically, how it's worked in practice for you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so when I have leveraged that, so essentially it's, you know, strategic uh, deployment, strategic prioritization, and most organizations don't want to stack rank their initiatives. Um, I've heard this comment pretty much in every organization I've been in. We have so many people, why would we ever need to stack rank? It should be like, we should be able to get all of these things done. Well, the reality is there is always more demand than there is capacity in the organization. And if you're Lining up your most precious asset, which is the human capital in the organization, against the things that matter, you're also going to be able to create, at least this is what I've seen, uh, the joy that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. People feel like they're working on meaningful things if they can have line of sight to the outcomes that they're driving. So this concept, and it's a lean concept, um, uh, the template is called like A3X because, you know, everything's the A3 paper size. Um, but essentially, it gives you a way to be explicit about your strategic intent. So you outline the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. Um, which teams in the organization are contributing to those outcomes? And then you stack rank what you're working on in order to achieve those outcomes. And the story that I share of when we introduced it at Nordstrom, um, there was a burning platform, which I think with all of these things that you introduced, if you have an opportunity to tie it to something that is creating pain in the organization, it makes it a lot easier to make progress. So for us, it was, we were trying to take PayPal as a tender type in our mobile experiences, essentially our, our iPhone app, which sounds simple. Well, when the leader over our mobile team went to try to understand what it would take for us to put PayPal in our, in our iPhone app, the, the response he got back from the teams that needed to do work was an 18-month effort to be able to take PayPal. And we all just stood back and went, wow, how could that be? And so 
he was, he's the leader, John, that I talk about quite a bit. And um, I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to work with him because he's very, very passionate about leading leadership. Uh, he introduced uh, coaching Kata, mm-hmm. um, value stream mapping. Um, he said, we need to, we need to leverage the A3X in order for us to understand where, where is the constraint? So, so we ended up just, we literally collected all of the work that was happening in what we called our customer facing uh, teams, which was, it was like 600 people. So it wasn't a small team or small section of the organization. And we brought the business leaders and the technology leaders together and we forced the stack ranking. And what we did first and foremost is we said, what work is contract-driven or date-driven or risk and compliance because that work had to be done. Then we, we placed kind of value scoring on everything else. And what we found out was our credit team who had to do work for us to take PayPal as a tender type, they were fully booked for the next 12 to 18 months on a critical project that had a board level commitment and had a date that couldn't move. So great aha for all of us, right? It's like now the work's visible, we know why we can't move faster. And then what we discovered was that I had a team in my organization, it was um, our store technology team. So they worked on the mobile PLS and all of the store technology. They were working on an, an initiative that was like number 28 on the stack rank list. And they had the skill set that we needed to unblock the credit team. Mm. So we deprioritized that work. We deployed that capacity against the higher priority work. And then we were able to unlock PayPal and deliver it in six months. Yeah, I love and it. so uh, it was it was hard. It took a lot of discipline. You know, I, but everybody, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say so then that became how we managed yeah. our strategic prioritization because the results were hard to dispute. I think the, the beauty in that story, and I'm, I'm going to repeat another story of, I won't mention the company, um, but that, that, like, I really love this kind of idea. But, that, you know, I was thinking as you had talked about this, and I've heard you tell me this story before, but that um, like great leaders don't carve out coke, right? Like, you know, like, uh, you know, I went into one company I was doing an assessment for, and the, the VP of engineering basically was, we're going to safe. And so I started interviewing people and I'm not a safe expert, but I knew enough to say, to figure out like, you know, and I'm not pro and I'm not con safe. Right. I mean, like whatever works great leaders figure out how to pick the pieces of all the good things and put them in place. They don't say, well, everybody says that ranking is terrible. So I'm not going to do it. Right. Like, and um, you know, the, when I started interviewing people, I'd ask them like, say like, yeah, now we're all in it safe. I'm like, explain a little bit about how you're utilizing it. And they're like, well, we've all been given the book, you know, haven't read it yet. You know, uh, you know, once you, you got a little deeper on the questions and it, it, the story, other story I, I thought was fascinating. You told me that during the pandemic you would do it, you know, there was an opportunity where you, again, you, you do this model of uh, the, the the stack ranking and you know 
I, I interviewed a lot of companies in the beginning of the pandemic. So I just wanted to see what the behavior was just for my own education, did some presentations on it, but, but like, you told me that there were like the you were like the only team that was doing this, and so almost every company I talked to during the pandemic, first move was get rid of all consultants, right? Like no, no ifs, like we're not even talking about it. Monday, I need a reduction of all consultants to like ten percent, and and you would tell me the story where like they go to team one, they're like okay, yeah, team two, and then they got to your team, and you're like. Okay, this is what our stack ranking. These are the priorities. We're number three after sort of brand protection and you know and and GRC or something like that. We're number three. Um, where do you want me to cut? And they're like, you know what? We'll get back to you. You know, I'm sure it's a you know. And then the next team slash next team slash you know. And and so I I, I thought that was a great story too. Uh, on a, you know, you, you pick the tool the, the tool. I I love that because. Yeah. Courtney, you there? Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, I was, yeah. Go ahead. You go. Oh, I was just going to say it is it is interesting how I always I, I say this phrase often, some amount of discipline enables speed. Oh, yeah. okay. And so in that scenario, because we were practicing discipline, when we got asked that question, we could give back a thoughtful meaningful answer versus the arbitrary go cut X percent and often the implications of that request right. are not well understood because right. the work's not visible. And yeah, and so for us, it was super easy. It's like, here's where my line, line is. My line's going to move. Yeah. Do you want the line to move? Okay, well, these are the implications of moving the line. And, you know, I will tell you, a lot of people don't want to do the heavy lifting to get that discipline into the system. But once you have the discipline in the system, now you, you still have to stay committed to it. And it, it takes, it takes persistence, but you can answer questions like that quickly. Your team feels supported because you're not just saying, well, I got handed down the mandate that we've got to do X, Y, Z. It's like, no, we informed the mandate with our diligence that we've been practicing to make an informed decision. And I, you know, I believe that the investment's worth it. Um, but I think it's hard sometimes for leaders to see the payoff. Like, yeah. is this really going to get me something better than what I do today? I've learned a lot working with Jay Bloom, right? He's PhD. He's just, you know, just really a brilliant guy. You know, and he, he periodically I'll see some of his presentations. Oh, I got to steal that. I gotta steal that with actually. But uh, I, think that I'm, I don't have time to look it up, so I'm going to sort of screw this up. But Alicia Gennaro is like sort of a, a complexity scientist. And, and her, her quote that I'm going to mangle is that, um, that, you know, that these constraints create freedoms, right? Like that's, you know, I, I think that should be your book sort of like uh, discipline creates speed or discipline creates freedom, you know, because uh, I, I think that's uh, like, that's the thing, right? Like I remember a, another good friend of the IT revolution community um, who uh, we all know well, I, I, you know, early, early in, in financial institutions created a lot of sort of great DevOps stories and, and, and roadway. And I asked him one time, I said, you know, what keeps you up at night? This is sort of eight years into the DevOps thing. Or, and, uh, 
And he said, you know, in early days, we turned out to go DevOps. And we just didn't care how they DevOps, right? You know, because we wanted, we wanted to make DevOps happen, right? And, and now I look at our what we yes. have, and I've got like, you know, you know, 12 different ways to do pipelines. I've got, so that, so you need that sort of, like, you know this, this part of your toolbox, I believe, right? That you need that, yes, I want to create freedoms, but I have to be disciplined first to create freedoms. So. Yeah, I um, yes, I think that the discipline is necessary, and I'm I'm a like it's got to be the right amount of discipline. It can't be bureaucracy. Yeah, but the right amount is is going to create that seed. And um, uh, I used to work with someone, a business leader, and I loved it. He'd say wide boulevards, high curves. And I'm like, yes, we want to create those curves so that people have context. There's another thing that we talk a lot about is empowerment. How do you empower teams and push decisions close to the work? Yeah. Well, empowerment without context is chaos. Yeah, yeah. You have to have context. And I think most organizations just like say, we empower our teams. But when you really look close at how decisions are made, teams aren't set up to really be empowered. And, and so one of my favorite questions when I'm talking to organizations, and sometimes it sounds like a weird question, but I, I am always fascinated to understand how decisions are made. Mm -hmm. Like if you really, you can learn so much about an organization yeah. if you can extract examples of how decisions are made. Um, because I think a lot of organizations would say that they empower their teams and they push decisions close to the work. But when you really start to study the system, they're... That's really not happening. <laughs> really no, not empowering. And, yeah. and what's even sort of worse is I go, you know, I, I think one of my favorite quotes is by an unnamed author is that misunderstanding variation is the the root of all sort of evil and, and, and uh, you know sort of misalignment. But so it, one of the things is is knee jerk reactions, like the fact that like they, these the leaders that make these terrible knee jerk reactions and they happen so often. You know, uh, you know, it's a bank I worked with. There was a breach. I mean, somebody walked out with the, a print off of the top, you know, 100 clients of the bank. Right, walked out the building. I mean, the next day, the CIO was like, "I want, I want us to hire a hundred, you know, security specialists in a market that was like the tenth largest city in the U.S." Right, like, good luck with that. You know, like if you could find five in that city, but like, wait a minute, can we just not figure out like why that happened before we hire a hundred, you know, uh, IT sec people, you know, knee jerk reactions are just so, uh, such a plague in, in I, I, everywhere, but certainly as least in our industry, uh, which actually leads me to our final subject, which is sort of my favorite, the SoundCloud model. Yeah, it's uh, I, I think because speaking of knee jerk reactions of people who basically 
banks that decide to do the sci-fi model. Any thoughts there? Totally. And I think that a lot of leaders have a playbook and potentially have been rewarded for knee-jerk reactions. They wouldn't call it that. They would call it, I'm a bias-to-action leader. I bias to action. When I see a problem, I, I make a decision and I put things into motion. It's like, well, some of the best leaders that I've been surrounded by and worked for are the leaders who take a step back, really make sure they understand what problem they're trying to solve, engage their team in the problem solving, and like figure out how to do meaningful assessment of the problem before they jump to a conclusion and it's uh i think it's one of those behaviors that has to be you almost have to unlearn it because for years we've been told as leaders that it's our role to you know quickly decide what needs to happen next and it's like well sometimes speed and agarita is not a good thing I love the bias to action. It's like almost like there's like some profound meaning in that. And when you break it down, like, right. oh. so you're literally, when you see something, you don't think it through and you just go ahead and do it. So your bias is to just, yeah, yeah, yeah that's and Wow. But I could see on a resume for a leader like that, like, I'm a bias to action. Oh, we need more of those type of people. Right? So totally, totally. Um, so um, yeah. Any, any sort of, but I, we can we could do the SoundCloud thing some other time. I, I've always uh, you know I've, I've sort of I, I want you to sort of write the presentation that tells us the real story behind the SoundCloud model someday. But um, well, so I'm, what am I going to SoundCloud? I'm such a dope. It's yeah, I was like, do you need Spotify? Spotify, yeah. Getting old, Courtney. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, we could. Yeah, I would love to to chat more about the Spotify model. I find it extremely interesting, you know, organizations that try to copy what another organization has done. And you and I have had this discussion. It's public, so everybody knows that the Spotify even says, please do not just copy and paste our model. Um, And, uh, yeah, so uh, in the spirit of time, we won't go deep on it, but I think it's a, it's a, uh, I guess it's not surprising that people want the answer. I think it's the same thing as earlier you mentioned safe. Safe isn't a bad thing if applied in the right way. What happens is organizations take it and, and just say, take it and follow it exactly how it's been outlined. And it's like, no, time out. Yeah. Even Dean would tell you, please don't do that. Please do not just take space and just like put it in your organization without being thoughtful. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like that's another area where people just want the answers. They want to have a quick win. And in a lot of these things, uh, that is not the best way to, to create the right environment where you're going to really be set up to have, you know, we talk about dynamic learning organizations. Like if you're striving for a dynamic learning organization, 
then you're not going to be successful if you just want to pull something off a shelf and deploy it in your organization. It's not going to, it's not going to yield the results. Just going to create frameworks or frames for like these is the boundaries. Yeah. You're back to Telluristic. No matter how pretty or how exotic or how sort of timely you think this movement that you're doing, you're basically back to Telluristic Sloan activities. If, if you're like, you can work from here to here to here to here and that's it. You know, it's just not, not how, uh, how it works. So, Courtney, I, you know, again, I, you know, I know I, I praise you a lot because I do. I mean, I think you're pretty awesome. I've had the opportunity to hang out with Courtney at conferences, and and I hope next year I think we'll all get to go back to conferences. And so, if people, um, I hope so. Yeah, man. <laughs> when if people at <laughs> conferences next year want to, sit, you know, come up to you, very approachable, always helping helped me many times, you know, think through some problems and complex things. How would they get a hold of you if, if actually you did want to sort of converse with Courtney? Yeah, yeah. So um, they're always uh, connect on LinkedIn, Courtney Kitzler on LinkedIn. And then my Twitter handle is uh, C-H-A-W-K-L-A-D-Y. So Seahawk Lee. I'm a big Seattle Seahawks fan. So, um, yeah, either pass. There you go. All right, Courtney, it's been awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah. So, 